Hello, this is Dr. Casey Bradley, and you're listening to The Real P3, a podcast dedicated to the real pork producers around the world. Today's episode is with Christine Snowden from Ohio, working for Heimwolf Farms. Hello, Christine. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? Really good. So I'm glad you joined us for The Real P3 podcast. It's my pleasure to have you on the show as maybe not everyone around the world realizes is you're kind of a rock star in the pig world for the U S when you were a pig farmer of tomorrow. Can you tell us a little bit about that program and the experience you had? Yeah. So I was very excited to come into the industry and start my career with pigs and In college, I was extremely involved and I was like biting at the bit to find a way to be more involved at the national level in pig farming. And I was lucky enough to see on Facebook that the National Pork Board was looking for pig farmers between the eight between the ages 18 and 29 that really wanted to share their story of pig farming with the rest of the United States and whoever might touch onto their page. So I applied and luckily I was selected. In that program, I got to do a lot of really cool things. Um, They helped me to blog about a lot of my experiences, blog about the we care principles that we all stand by when raising pigs. And we also got to do a lot of in-person networking through various conferences and conventions and MPP's uh, forum. That is awesome. So that was on the side. What is your day job? Yeah. So my day job now is I am a guilt selection officer and service team member for Heimerl Farms. And so in case the audience didn't know, Heimerl Farms is one of my first integrator integrator type systems I worked with in Ohio when I was at Comeback Feeds. So they have a special place in my heart. And so, Christine, kind of tell me about Heimerl Farms, the operation from your perspective. It's changed since I've worked with the organization and kind of understand the kind of, I guess, system and the family behind it, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I have a pretty great story with the Heimerls. Um, When I was nine years old, we actually only lived two miles down the road from them. And so I convinced my mom to that I wanted to show a pig at the Hartford County Fair. And luckily, Jim Heimerl was selling pigs for $60 a head. And so I got my first two pigs from him. And that really sparked my passion for the pork industry. Um, From there, I think Jim has really kept up with me in my career and started following me very closely when I became a pig farmer of tomorrow, always saying, hey, it's time for you to move back to Ohio because I was working in Iowa at the time. And um, luckily for me, I decided, okay, I do want to move back to Ohio. He had a position open um, within their guilt side of the business and I was able to come into that position. Um, So Heimerl Farms is a family-owned farm. It is constantly growing. Um, We're really focused on contract growing. So we buy a lot of pigs, but we also have four sow farms that we work with, now five actually, that we work with that we get sows from and have influence there. Um, But we have 195 contract finished barns and we're finishing a lot of pigs every single year 
um, over a couple million or 1 million, I think. So with all of that, we really strive to make sure that we are getting very healthy pigs from the people that we're buying pigs from and also making sure that our sow farms are staying at a high health status because of the guilt multiplication that we're doing for PIC. Um, so far this year, we've sold over 80,000 gilts on behalf of PIC to other sow farms for them to keep their sow farms going the best that they can. Wonderful. And the footprint for Heimold Farms is primarily in Ohio and parts of Indiana, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, right now we have, I believe, three barns in Indiana and mostly all in Ohio. I My guilt barns make a backward C around Columbus area um, because we try to keep our gilts up in the northern part of Ohio so that we aren't over closer to the Indian Ohio line where there's a lot of barrow barns where health is a struggle out there because of how many pigs. Yeah. So if people around the world were kind of imagining Indiana, Ohio, and it, I think the truck traffic and the pig traffic's even grown more because we have Tyson and IPC in, in Logansport area in Indiana. So that's kind of the corridor she's talking about to get pigs that way. And now the Clemens group just put in the cold water plant in Michigan. So there is a lot of high traffic of um, wing pigs coming out from the North Carolina area, Pennsylvania area to be fed out to hit these plants. And um, it is a challenge in Ohio to keep that segmented. But um, one of the, I guess, from a purse perspective, in my opinion, very on top of it, all the companies working together and monitoring that is that. Tell me more about that program and how you're involved with, you know, tracking PERS and, and making sure you keep your flows clean. Yeah, so um, our veterinarian, uh, Dr. Terry Specht, she really works with the veterinarians with Kalmbach and Hordes and all the other major producers in Ohio. And they actually have a, a portal that they use. So any barn that they find positive PERS, PED, flu, you name it, they all put it into this portal. Every veterinarian gets a email whenever in, anything is entered with the address of where that barn is so that if we have any pigs in that area, the service team member that might be close to those hog barns knows to tell their producers, we need to watch out for this. This is what's going on here. And we need to wash our truck or vehicle, whatever we take to the farm before we go in. Don't wear the same clothes that you did when you were around that area into your hog barn and things like that. Luckily, I don't have to deal with too much high um, health status stuff with PERS and PED because every one of my barns I shower in and out of. Um, we try to keep all of our barns together. So all the South Farm Flow has barns that are right up and down the street from each other. Like the farthest barn that I have away from anything is an hour. So ours stay very close together. So we know that any producer in that area actually has Heimerl Farm pigs. So with PIC and with Dr. Terry's help, we do thousand point scores of our facilities that hold gilts, um, which means that in a radius set by PIC, we, they basically knock on doors of any place that they think might house pigs and try to get them to switch whatever they might be using and go to Heimerl pigs so that we know what the health status is of those animals. So luckily for me in, our, in my area, I don't have to deal with that very much because most people 
are actually raising hymeral hogs. That's awesome. And that, I guess, is one of the advantages of getting bigger. And, you know, Jim started very small, as you said, and now is quite large. And so, but I also thought it was really great when I worked in Ohio from the standpoint of all these producers working together over a common cause, and and that's to keep our pigs healthy. Today's episode is brought to you by the Sunswine Group, Nutrisign, Swine Nutrition Management, and Pig Progress. On the nutrition side of things and discussions around sow longevity, it's, it's sow mortality has been a uh, increasing number. Um, I loved Hyatt Frobos's presentation last month on that. And that's kind of what my PhD was in, in sow longevity and mortality. And the conversation always goes back to, you know, we're not doing sow research, but we're also not doing guilt development research. And so this is with my opportunity. Oh, I get to talk to Christine about what are you doing differently on guilt selection? How are we ensuring not only do we have a large enough population to choose from, but quality? So kind of walk me through from, I guess you get the pigs from weaning until you're selling them as gilts and talk about the different things you're doing to achieve the best replacement gilt possible. Yeah. So I'm going to start with the replacement gilt that I select to go back into our own sow farm. So through PIC, they have really started to understand what I'm going to call the gilts index. So she gets a number and it's all the way down from like 50 to 130 or higher, hopefully higher. So the higher that number, the better that it has proven, the index has proven that she will be as a mom. So when I go in to select gilts going back into the Heimroll system, I'm looking for the gilts in that barn with the highest index and also the best phenotype. So the index is more the genotype. So we know what who her mom is and we know who her dad is. And her mom has done really well and her dad has done really well to give her a very high, nice index score. But I also need to check on her phenotype. So what she actually looks like on the slats. So when I am, I make my whole list of the girls that have the highest index, what pin they are in, everything like that. I go into that pin and then I select her because something might have happened. She might have caught her toe in the slat. She might have accidentally ripped a slight hole in her vulva. She might not have the teats that we want her to have. Anything could happen. So from there, I really look at her legs first, her teat line, and then her vulva. Um, really want to make sure that we're giving that sow farm the perfect gilt almost so that she will last three, four, five parodies. Um, we want to make sure that we're doing that. So then if we're giving our sow farm the best gilts that we have available, that means that they're also creating the best gilts that we can give to our customers. Um, when they come in from the sow farm as little babies and and we are doing day one care on them. And for the first week, really focusing to make sure that those gilts are transitioning well off of mama's milk and onto feed. We are spacing them out. We are putting the girls that have the high indexes in a pin by themselves so that we are making sure that they aren't overcrowded. And then we also double fill those barns usually. So their brothers are in there with them as well. And then once they hit about six weeks old, the brothers go to other feeder to finish barns. And then we really spread those gilts out so that they have as much room as they need to develop well 
get their head into the feeder and not have to compete for anything. Basically, they get to live the ultimate life of care and making sure that they don't have a care in the world except for they get to sleep and eat and poop and be happy. So that's what we're really looking forward to is making sure that that guilt has enough um, movement area and feed and making sure that her water's clean and everything so that she can develop the best way that she can. So in that mind of growing the best way she can, how old is she when you're selling her to go into a cell herd or bringing her back into your own system? So when we bring back into our own system, we are bringing them in around 27 weeks, 280 to 290 pounds, so that when they get to the cell farm, they can start heat cycling them and um, HNSing them for their first heat and then following up with, with their first breeding 21 days after that. So we send them to the south farm at that age so that when they hit 28 weeks and 300 pounds, she's pretty much ready to breed. Um, For the customer, though, it's all based on when they want pigs. I can sell pigs as ISO weans, so straight out of the gilt barn and, and all the way up to 290 pounds. It just depends on what the customer has asked for at in age. Do you know the selection rate or the percentage of gilts becoming maternal females and getting the opportunity to become a, a mother? At Hymer Farms, we're running about a 75% to 80% selection rate. Do you think 90% would ever be potential or are you really going 75% more from that index that you talked about in quality? I don't think that 90% will ever be possible because I think the index will just keep going up and you'll just keep raising the bar even more and more and more. So we'll always have that bottom 25% that won't ever be able to become mamas because we're just going to keep raising the bar so high that she'll, she'll never make it. We'll never have a, a perfect amount because we want to keep giving the South farm the best, the best, the best. So getting to the best, um, is there any challenges that you face today that you've worked on to really get get to, you know, 75% and making sure that 75% the top that you want versus just taking maybe 75% that's left. I mean, what kind of challenges have you faced and opportunities to get to that, that mark that, you know, you're setting out the best quality gilts you can. Yeah. So when I go in and select for our own selves, I think is where I really have the most opportunity to create that new guilt. Um, So I've really been taking a lot of time and setting up the isolation barn that they go into to make sure that they have even more space than they have. Um, So when I go in and select, I take a lot of time, like way more than anyone probably would expect me to just for the fact that I want to watch her walk. I want to watch her whole body move in the way that I think that it should because I want her to last on that flat and in the group housing. Um, Group housing has really, really made us focus a lot more on her feet and leg structure because she's not just going to be in the the gestation stall anymore. She's going to be moving into a group housing situation with 10, 20, 80 sows in there with her. So she needs to be able to hold her own and get to her head stall to get her feed and do all that. And she's going to do a lot more moving around. So the feet and legs are extremely important, even more important than they already were, I guess, um, to make sure her longevity lasts. And then 
again, I want to make sure she's going to create the best baby that she can for me to sell to other customers. Great. Do you know, after your guilts are getting into your system, do you know um, your average parity in your sow herds? And then kind of what, what is your pigs per sow per year in your own system? So I don't get to know too much about the sow farms. I just feed them the pigs that they need for that breed target. Um, But I do know our average parity right now is a 3.5. So we are really hitting that she's paying off her rent basically. Um, we I really want to hear. Them. Yeah. 3.5. Yes. <laughs> yep. Good yep. job guys. So, Proud of so you. We, we are really trying to focus on keeping that replacement rate where it should be because you don't want to over replace because then you're spending money on animals that you don't need to be because she's still producing for you, but also we don't want to under because then you're breeding that P6 who's might only wean five pigs for you and that's really not what we want in the farrowing house. Exactly. 3.5. That's where I want you to be. Um, from your perspective, do you know on your mortality issues in your south farm hitting 3.5, I'm assuming you're going to be doing a little bit better than average on mortality. In that distribution, have you guys been able to change your lameness percentage of either culling or mortality in your system based on you coming in and really highly selecting for that movement? Yeah, so I just got to have a meeting with some of the South Farm folks the other day, and they have said it's night and day difference, which is awesome to hear. It makes me feel good that I'm sending them the best product that I can be. And actually, their number one reason for calling our mortality is index. So so we have sent them such great gilts that they're able to mainly focus on index of getting rid of sows and sending them to the call house because they don't have that high enough index that we want to see now. Incredible. I love hearing that feedback. So we've talked about pig farmer of tomorrow. And I always ask my visitors or my guests on my show, do you have any other hobbies besides pigs or do you live, breathe and die by the pig? Wow. Um, so I really do love pigs. I, uh, almost see pigs every single day. And, um, a lot of my apartment decor is pigs. Um, but my other hobbies include, uh, running. So I really love to run. I'm actually running, um, a half marathon just for its name next weekend. It's the flying pig out of Cincinnati. It will be a virtual race this year because of COVID, but I really love to run. And then I also have a St. Bernard and she keeps me pretty busy as well. <laughs> awesome. About the size of a pig. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Before we go, I always also give my guests the opportunity to turn the tables and ask me anything you want to ask me. Um, there's no, nothing off limits. If there is, I'll be like, I'll play the fifth, but <laughs> any questions or anything you'd like to ask me? Yeah. I just really want to hear a little bit more about your overarching goal for the P3 podcast. That is great. Um, the The podcast is not something I thought I really wanted to jump into until my friend Willem Stein in South Africa brought it to my attention. He he does a lot of study groups in South Africa and even in Europe. You'll hear about different producers will work in different groups and have networks to where they get to visit different farms and learn from producers and kind of have a good networking study group. He found though the study group started becoming more of an advertisement for the sponsors 
rather than the producers just having an opportunity to sit down and talk about what they're doing. And so our goal is to hopefully break down those barriers, not only in the state of Ohio or where you are today, but put you in touch with producers from all over the world that you can connect with. Because I think it's a great example. You know, a lot of times we don't look outside of our state or county sometimes if we want to go back to that being that small and then let alone the country and somebody may have already solved a problem we're having. And so hopefully through this podcast we have is you can hear stories from other producers, what they're doing really good. I think Heimerolds is a great example of getting guilt selection right and getting that, you know, style parity up. So I think that's really good. And and depending on, you know, different themes that come across or if some, there's some commonalities between the different producers we interview, I'd like to take it further and have another round of these three producers on the same call together or, you know, interview together. And let's just talk through what are they doing to solve pre-weaning mortality or or guilt selection and just kind of talk through what makes their system unique is it something that can be replicated in other systems? So that's kind of first, you know, phase is to really dive in and meet these producers, connect you while you're driving in your car. You drive between a lot of hog barns. So <laughs> it should be fairly easy for you to listen in the Real P3 podcast and then say, well, Casey, I, I want to talk to this producer. I think I could learn from them or vice versa and hopefully learn and um, reconnect again with biosecurity, the threats of African swine fever. All this stuff's really scary and it's making us put up more walls around us to protect us. And I think, you know, we can use new technologies like a podcast to get our um, opportunity to reconnect and learn from each other. It's hopefully that is our overall arching goal. And I would love to see in the future that if we're not too scared to meet in person because of a human virus or a pig virus, that we can create an international pig group and where we can visit different countries. Because I had the opportunity to visit a sow farm in Denmark. I've been in a lot of hog farms in the U.S. But night and day difference about some of the things we're doing that we can all learn from And, you know, maybe someday it won't ever be in person, but maybe at least small groups or virtual. And how can we connect and learn from each other? Because there are a lot of things that work there that I don't know. Some of them would, you know, be beneficial to your systems. And others were just like, I remember my friend Pierre Lestard was with me. And we're looking at those sows and we're going, wow, those are big girls. We we couldn't feed those here in the U.S. We, We can't get them that big or in Canada. He's in Canada. And so we were just blown away with the size and depth of those females and um, how I can see they can hold that many pigs and get that many pigs out. But some really unique things, especially how they manage style housing and litter care. And so that's kind of what we're hoping to bring is different perspectives and say, and something just click in my mind or your mind to say, hey, I need to connect with that person. And I think And so hopefully my goal is to bring that network and connection back to where we're talking to producers and solving our own problems. Because the last thing you want somebody to do is solve a problem like me sitting in an office that never gets to see a pig anymore. And um, maybe they're solving a problem that you don't even have. So it's kind of some of my goals. That sounds awesome. I can't wait to hear from other producers that you have on then. Yeah. So it's really exciting. 
And that's really all I had for the day. I thank you for your time. And hopefully I'll have you back because I want to learn more about this guilt selection. And in case you guys are not friends with Christine on social media, she is very active. She does a great job representing our industry. So try to Facebook, I guess, and LinkedIn and Instagram and kind of start following Christine because she's got a bright future ahead of her. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Before we go, I just want to give one more shout out to our sponsors, the Sunswine Group, NutriSign, Swine Nutrition Management, and Pig Progress. Remember, if you get a chance today, hug a pig for me.